Good morning. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Freedom and Wealth podcast. This is your host, Brian Nicolason. Thank you for joining today. I think we're going to have a pretty interesting episode. We're going to start with an update for the end of the week. It's Friday, February 25th, 2022. It was a very interesting week in the markets and also geopolitically. We have uh, Russia has invaded Ukraine and uh, initially, when they did that on Thursday morning, the market was down two and a half, three percent, depending on what market you were looking at. Gold was, or oil was up eight percent, and that was the reaction that I anticipated. Uh, with major sanctions coming in, especially on the energy side, you're going to see a huge spike in the price of of oil and natural gas and energy. And then uh, it's definitely not good for the stock market, for earnings, consumer expenditures, especially on the European side. Uh, but then midday, it turned around and the market flew up and then we're kind of continued with that positive reaction uh, today on Friday. Um, the, I guess the reason why this is happening, and it's not really clear, you never really know what the small reactions in the market are all about. Uh, but some of it was that the sanctions weren't quite as tough as, as was going to be anticipated. Figured there were going to be a lot more sanctions on the energy side, which would increase oil to a much higher price. And that's, you know, reduces um, profitability for a lot of companies as the price of energy goes up. Um, and then the other side would be kind of buying the dip, right? That, okay, you know, sanctions aren't that bad. And so it looks like we've priced in too many, too much uh, depreciation in prices. So let's buy the dip a little bit. So I think there's a combination of those two things going on that has spurred a little bit of this buying. Um, but we are definitely not in the clear at all when it comes to this Ukraine invasion. Um, I mean, gosh, we're celebrating the fact that oil didn't go above $100 a barrel. And that's that's comical. We're oil still at ninety dollars a barrel, um, which is incredibly expensive. Uh, puts a ton of pressure on a lot of companies, uh, whether that's in the travel industry or you know manufacturing. Um, they're going to be huge, huge problems with ninety dollars a barrel. And I, I think, as Russia continues their push into Ukraine and potentially into all the rest of the former Soviet Union countries that they want to reclaim uh, oil, the sanctions on energy is going to have to, to be increased. Uh, clearly, the, the Russian government does not care about the sanctions that were put in place. Um, so the sanctions are going to have to get tougher. And you, you will see oil moving up in a big way. Um, you know, having exposure to oil and energy inside a portfolio right now is actually very intelligent. Um, you know, we have that in our portfolios because oil is going to go up. It's not going to come down. So I think this whole little you know, flurry of buying is just a, a blip in time. And again, I don't think we're in the clear at all. Um, clearly, Russia is committed to what they're doing in Ukraine, and there are going to be huge ramifications on the energy sector, which trickles through the entire economy both on the consumer side and also on the production side. Um, the last piece that may have spurred some of this buying is the fact that the investment, the market, 
has pr- now maybe priced in that, okay, maybe the Fed is not going to be so aggressive. You know, now that there's a war in Europe, uh, maybe the Fed won't actually raise rates or, or won't raise rates nearly as, as aggressively. And I think, again, that's a big mistake because this kind of assumes that we don't have huge major inflationary problems already. Uh, and we do. You know, we published a 7.5% inflation or 7.2, whatever it was. And I think when we get our inflation number for February, we're going to have another really high number, which potentially is going to push inflation even higher on a year-over-year basis. And also, if you look at shadowstats.com or, or really just look at your grocery bills, and you actually look at the inflation number based on the 1980 calculation, the CPI is up 15% year-over-year. Um, energy costs are rising rapidly. You know, the, all the... Um, energy companies are basically telling folks, hey, your, your bill for the rest of this winter is going to be a lot more expensive for natural gas uh, you're, and you're traveling, especially when we get towards the summer. Oil is going to continue to move upward. Um, and this Russia thing is only going to make that worse. So inflation is only just getting started and it's already 15%. Um, we have to raise interest rates as a country if we're going to save our position. Um, we have the highest inflation ever in the 1970s, which was the last big inflationary time period. The highest inflation we ever had was in 1980, it was 13.5%. And again, we're at 15% now. We're not going to listen to the government when they're lying us to us and telling us that, hey, inflation 7.2% or 7.5%. No, you changed the calculation. You, you changed the statistical calculation. Let's just use the same formula if we're going to do an apples to apples comparison. And in that case, we have the highest inflation in American history. That is the problem. And it is the main problem. And what I'm going to go through right now is, is kind of just going to talk about, uh, and, and maybe Jerome Powell listened to this. Uh, no, he won't. But I, I really wish Jerome Powell would because he has a responsibility to keep us the greatest country in the world. And if he does not live up to that responsibility, he solely uh, and, and the rest of the Fed will be responsible for the undoing of, of the greatest country in the world. So I want to take a step back. Let's take let's look at 1970 or you know 1980, rather, which was the highest inflation ever up until this year, uh, 13.5%. At that time, we had $914 billion in debt, under a trillion dollars in debt, okay? 32% debt to GDP. So GDP was basically three times that, um, you know, we had a maybe a $3 trillion GDP at the time, and the, the debt was just about a trillion. So 32% debt to GDP, $914 billion. And uh, I'm going to bring up some more statistics, but I've read multiple times when you're looking through this that back then, our debt was a lot longer term than it is now, right? So a lot of that, call it a trillion dollars in debt, was long-term, right? 20 year, 30 year. So when they raised rates at that time and to choke off the inflation, they were able to do it and the government didn't have this major impact, right? Debt to GDP was only 32%. The debt was a lot of long-term. So by the time the, those uh, treasuries came up and renewed at the higher interest rate, it was a, a prolonged period of time. So we really weren't impacted uh, by those interest rates on a government level for quite a while after the, the rate hike started with Paul Volcker. Now let's look at where we are right now. We are $30 trillion in debt, 
30 times the amount of debt we had in 1980. We're adding 3 trillion. We're adding, we're adding the entire 1980 GDP in debt onto our current debt, which is 30 times where it was. We're adding that every year. We're going to potentially add $3 trillion in debt, which means by the end of Biden's term, we'll be at $40 trillion. And then from there, it's off to the moon. It's $50 trillion, $60 trillion, $80 trillion, $100 trillion in debt. We have $162 trillion in unfunded liabilities, depending on who you're looking at for that calculation. That was what Google told me. Our debt to GDP ratio is 130%. So we went from 32% debt to GDP to 130% debt to GDP. We have so much debt right now as a government and it's all short-term, right? It's all short-term debt. Not all of it, but a much larger percentage is short-term debt. So when we do raise interest rates, the government's gonna be impacted immediately, okay? The stock market is where a lot of this money went, right? A lot of this inflation went into the stock market as they printed this money and the Fed has been monetizing the US government for their overspending. The price to earnings ratio on the, the Schiller PE ratio right now at the peak was 40 times earnings. It's come down a little bit, maybe 35 times earnings with this price decrease that we've seen over the last two months. Compare that to 1980, it was eight times, right? So price to earnings of stock was on average eight times, now it's 40 times. So we have a much higher valued um, uh, stock market, we have much more inflation gasoline that's going into this fire. So we're at this point where we have to raise interest rates or it's going to spin out of control. And let's talk about that. What happens when this spins out of control? So now, by the way, if they do raise rates, we will see a 50 to 60% correction because the price to earnings are so high, they're so astronomical that when you start raising rates from zero, we're at zero. When you start raising rates and we and and price to earnings has to come down because when you have a, a higher risk-free rate, then the premium that you'll pay right for a risk asset starts to to go down, right? You're not willing to pay as much for a risk asset if you can get more on a risk-free side. So as interest rates come up the price to earnings is going to drop substantially. We're going to see major, major moves down in the market if they raise rates. There is a good chance, potentially, that they don't raise rates in a meaningful way, right? They might do one, two, three rates, rate hikes, quarter point each. I think you'll see some volatility. I think you'll see moves down even in that because we've seen a 10, 15% move down and we haven't even started raising rates yet. Once we start, I think you'll see another maybe 10, 15% down if they keep going like they have to, 10 rate hikes, 15 rate hikes, 20 rate hikes. And that's the only way you're going to choke off a 15% inflation. You have to ring rates from zero up to three and a half, four, five. That might start to do a little bit of, of, uh, of work to, to bring this inflation down. It's not going to be enough. You're going to have to do this Volcker style uh, 1970s rate hikes. And, and it's just not going to happen. But if we even want to cool the inflation down, you're going to have to raise rates substantially. You're going to have to manufacture basically a recession, which is going to start to cool uh, inflation also on the demand side as we go into inflation and increase kind of unemployment and things like that. So that is going to be painful, okay? But the other side of the coin 
okay, if they don't do that, is much, much more painful. And it's much more painful for, the, for, the, for our country as a whole, as the greatest country in the world, because it will be the undoing of it. Because if they don't raise interest rates, okay, then rates are going to go up on their own. See, the Fed doesn't control interest rates. All they can do is control the, the Fed lending rate, right? And, and that will guide the short end of the curve. But in order to control the rest of the interest rate environment, they have to buy assets, quantitative easing. And that's why they bought so many assets. They've expanded their balance sheet to $9 trillion. So what they do, and they, that's how they control interest rates. They, they keep the, the Fed rate low. That controls the short end of the curve. They buy the assets. They, they're out there buying bonds and mortgage-backed securities to keep the long end of the curve down. Well, as inflation starts to spiral and get more and, and hotter and hotter and hotter, right? Then the investors are gonna require a higher interest rate. Okay, if I'm giving you money, right? Like for instance, if I'm buying a bond from a corporation, you know, and if, if I get paid back 10 years later of my money and, and that dollar is worth a lot less because inflation's increased, well, then you're gonna have to give me a better interest rate to compensate for that increase in, in inflation and the devaluation of my dollar by the time I get it back from, from the, the borrower. So interest rates are gonna go up naturally, okay? And so the only way the Fed will be able to continue to keep interest rates down, right? To, to help the government from going insolvent, right? Is the Fed's gonna to have to keep buying assets. So they're gonna to have to revert back to their QE program, start buying more and more assets, okay? Now, by the way, Apparently, on March 16th, they're going to stop buying assets and start selling assets. The opposite. They're going to start tightening. That is so detrimental to the markets. Again, it's, it's almost hard to articulate how bad that is for the markets because our markets are so addicted to this cheap money. You know, the, the markets are like drug addicts that have been doing drugs every single day for years, right? And, and the Fed apparently is going to pull the drugs away, right? cold turkey. And the markets are not going to do well. Not only are they going to raise the low short end of the curve, they're going to stop buying the assets to control the long end of the curve. And they're going to start unloading assets into the market, which puts even more upward pressure on interest rates. I mean, the markets are going to get hammered if this happens. So let's assume they don't do that. And they want to keep interest rates down. Because, you know, Ukraine or whatever excuse or midterm elections, whatever they want to do, they want to keep interest rates, to, to keep propping the stock market up, right? To keep kicking the can down the road and keep inflating the, the stock market bubble. At that point, the Fed will have to buy everything. They'll have to buy bonds, mortgage-backed securities, um, a lot more corporate bonds, right? Not only just federal treasuries, but mortgage-backed securities. They do buy some corporate bonds, but they're gonna have to buy a lot more, especially junk bonds. The Fed will start buying all the assets, right? And by the way, the Fed, the Federal Reserve Bank can't buy anything. When I say they're buying stuff, I mean printing money. But they'll start buying everything. Then they start buying equities. They start buying stocks, right? They start taking ownership in companies. The Japanese bank, central bank, is the largest shareholder of pretty much every Japanese stock because they buy the stock to keep the stock market up. They buy the bonds to keep interest rates down. And you basically have the government now, a government organization getting involved in the equity markets, buying stock, literally individual stock. 
Now, all this money printing is going to further spike inflation. And again, more people are going to say, okay, inflation's even higher. It went from 15% to 20% to 30%. Now I need even more, I need even higher interest rates, right? You got to compensate me even more if I'm going to lend you money, if I'm going to borrow a bond from you. And again, the Fed's going to have to come in and have to buy even more. And it becomes this snowball effect. It's a reverse, it's a reverse effect, right? Every time the, the Fed tries to, to stop the, the interest rates from going up, they kick off more inflation, which fuels an uh, even higher interest rate, which fuels even more buying by the Fed, which fuels even higher interest rates, which is just this big circular reference that puts us in this hyperinflationary environment where the Fed is required to keep printing ungodly amounts of money. At some point, that comes to an end. Because as you continue to devalue the US dollar, people are not going to want to transact in a currency that goes down in value so rapidly. It's like why no one wants to transact in Bitcoin, because by the time you get the Bitcoin and put it in your bank, it's down 15%, right? You just don't know. The currency and with the dollar, it's, it's only moving in one direction. At least Bitcoin has the opportunity that maybe it moves in the right direction. But so what's going to happen in this situation is you get into this hyperinflationary environment, the Fed has to take other steps. Not only the Fed, but the U.S. government. And they're starting to introduce these things right now, these steps that they're going to take. One of them being central bank digital currencies, right? This is a response to some of the digital currencies that are out, you know, as far as cryptocurrencies and things like that. Part of it's a response to that, but it's also setting a precedent and setting up the infrastructure for the government to be able to control the entire monetary system, right? So what they are going to have to do eventually to control prices is they're going to have to start controlling what gets purchased. And the purpose of a central bank digital currency is they're programmable, right? And you could type in programmable central bank digital currency and you could read all about it. What a programmable central bank digital currency is, is it's literally programmable, right? It's not necessarily a currency anymore. It's more like a coupon. So what the, what the government's going to want to do is they're going to want to get rid of dollars, right? Because those are continuing to become less and less valuable, right? Every day as they print more money. And what they'll end up doing is issuing everybody a digital currency that you transact on your phone. But it's programmable and it's you, they can actually control what you can and can't purchase, right? But not only so if your employer or the government deems that the thing that you are going to buy is unnecessary, or if they're trying to control prices in a certain sector, right, then they program the digital currency to do that, right? And so if you, you know, wanted to go get a burger and they said, well, no, you've had too many burgers this week, um, that, you know, and, and it, you go to scan it at the burger joint and, and it doesn't scan and your dollars don't work, right? Because you, you've used up your burgers for the week and then you can buy something else. Right? You could buy like a vegan meal or something, right? So this is this idea, these programmable digital currencies and it all serves in the need to centralize everything, right? Because you can't have a decentralized currency because then things, inflation just gets out of control. They have to put price controls in place. And, and that will be the end result, which basically puts you into like socialism, right? Or, or even almost uh, fascism as you have basically the, 
the government working with the corporations and owning the corporations and the means of production and then controlling how the money is spent as well. And that literally would be the only solution in this hyperinflationary environment for the government to, to, to take. So when I said Jerome Powell has a responsibility to keep us the greatest country in the world, he has this responsibility. The Fed right now is at a tipping point. Either they're going to fight inflation and they're going to put an end to this craziness that's going on, or they're not. And if they don't, and I don't know how long that will take to play out because you have a lot of things that start to happen, right? You have inflations continuing to go up, right? You have interest rates keeping to go up. You got the Fed buying more and more assets. And this could play out over a 10, 20 year period. But eventually that comes to an end. And not only in the US dollar eventually falls off as this reserve currency when you have you know, all the other countries that are biting at our heels to, to have that place, especially China, who's arguably already the biggest economy in the world. So there is a, a ton of pressure here. Um, and by the way, just to, and I'll, I'll kind of leave out on this last note, there was an article that came out uh, by someone that I read, read their blog. Uh, they actually mentioned an event that happened three days ago, uh, hosted by the National Defense University. This is an academic institution that's founded by the U.S. Department of Defense. So it's funded by us, okay, uh, the U.S. taxpayer. I wrote my check just last week to, to the federal government for my taxes. So my taxes went to the federal government, and then they gave it to the Department of Defense, right? The Department of Defense founds this National Defense University, and they hosted an event, okay? And it's, it's an education for senior leaders in national security. The event, uh, what was it called here? Um, let me just get you the title. The title was Responding to China, the Case for Global Justice and Democratic Socialism. Okay, so there was a speaker, a French economist, Thomas Piketty, and his thesis was that global security, okay, requires promoting a new emancipatory and egalitarian horizon on a global scale, a new form of democratic and participatory ecological and post-colonial socialism, okay? His argument was that if the U.S. sticks to, quote unquote, their dated hyper-capitalist model, Western countries may find it difficult to meet the Chinese challenge. This is not only Mr. Piketty's thesis, but it also seems to be Biden's thesis and a lot of the left and not just the left, I mean, it's, it's a lot of our politicians, right? Keep pushing us towards these socialist programs, right? That are making us more like China, more government control, right? The COVID thing, the response, these draconian measures, lockdown, vaccine passports, right? They're just these ways that the, the, the government is trying to institute larger control over the system. And it's in an effort to compete with China. So they want us to just be more like China in an effort to compete like China. And I'm telling you, that is the, the unwinding of the U.S. exceptionalism. Now, by the way, just read some of the concluding marks. One of his con concluding ideas was, what about sharing a fraction, this is a quote, what about sharing at least a fraction of global tax revenues paid by the world's most powerful economic actors, multinationals, billionaires, between all countries according to their population. 
So basically what they're saying is the U.S., which has the most wealth to tax, is going to be taxed, and then it's going to be distributed by population to China, which is the highest population in the world, right? And it really does seem like the U.S. government is running for this Chinese agenda. Gosh, they're actually talking about, this is a, an event on three days ago, hosted by the National Defense University, right? Part of our Department of Defense, talking about taxing the U.S. taxpayers and distributing it globally based on population, which means to China because they're the largest population. So, I mean, it is just so insane, okay, where we are as a country. And so when I watch the markets go up 2% during the first war since World War II in Europe, right? First European war since World War II. The largest, you know, oil producer is, is going to be getting sanctions to try and stop it. Not going to work, but they're going to try. And there's going to be huge shortages in natural gas and oil, especially in Europe. And somehow this is a good thing for the markets. What's good is bad and what's bad is good. This is a bad event, but they're hoping that it affects the, the Fed's decision to save our country. It's the most perverse situation that we're in. So again, I try to keep these short, try to keep them 25 minutes. I know I went a little bit long-winded on that one, but these are super important topics. You know, if you're one of the clients, one of our clients listening, understand that we know what is going on here. We understand it, right? We understand where the country is. There will be opportunities in this, depending on what the Fed does, right? If they fight inflation, we're going to see big moves down in the market. And uh, that's going to create wonderful opportunities as malinvestment get washed out of the market and we're able to get in uh, and find new growth and new opportunities. And if they choose not to fight inflation, well, we know how, we know how to, to trade for inflation. Uh, and it's up to the Fed. And what they say on March 16th is going to be a huge indication of that. Um, and so anyway, we're, we're here um, to discuss anything further. You know, again, if you're a client, if you're not a client yet, and you haven't gone through our planning process, please check us out at freedomandwealthusa.com. You can submit for a financial plan. You'll get a custom plan. It'll include all your tax planning, your distribution planning for retirement, and then it'll also include an investment strategy report. Um, and uh, you know we can get started that way. So thank you all for, for joining today. I hope you all have a wonderful weekend um, you know, and our hearts and our thoughts go out to all the innocent folks who, you know, and families and children um, that are dealing with this, what seems to be a brutal attack um, by the, the Russian military. Um, so again, our, our thoughts and our prayers are with, uh, with everybody out there as far as, you know, innocent children. Forget about the military side, just uh, the, the kids and the families and, and um, our hearts are, are with you. Thank you and have a wonderful day. The opinions expressed by Brian Nicolaisen and guests on this radio show are their own and do not reflect the opinions of this radio station. All statements and opinions expressed are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice. Investments involve risk and unless otherwise stated are not guaranteed. Past performance cannot be used as an indicator to determine future results. 
Any strategies mentioned may not be suitable for everyone. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for you. Before acting on any information mentioned, please consult with a qualified tax or investment advisor to determine if it is suitable for your specific situation. This program is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with regard to subject covered. Investment advisory services offered through Brookstone Capital Management, LLC, a registered investment advisor. BCM and Nicolaysen Wealth Partners are independent of each other. Insurance products and services are not offered through BCM, but are offered and sold through individually licensed and appointed agents.